Welcome to the Profitable NDIS Provider Podcast, where we're joined by your hosts, Tanya Gomez and Paul Bryan. In each episode, we'll be sharing valuable insights and tips to help you turn your NDIS business into a profitable venture. So whether you're just starting out or looking to take your business to the next level, you've come to the right place. Let's stop surviving and start thriving. G'day, everybody, and welcome to the Profitable NDIS Provider Podcast. It's so good to have you here. I'm Paul, and I'm here, obviously, with Tanya Gomez today. And today we're talking to Eddie, uh, Eddie from Network Infinity. G'day, Eddie. G'day, Paul. How are you? Good, thank you. Hey, Tanya. Hey, Eddie. It's lovely to have you on the podcast. And we're talking about selling my NDIS business today. So Eddie is the founder of Network Infinity and is renowned for his expertise in the NGRS space. Armed with a unique understanding of the sector, an extensive network and a wealth of experience, Eddie provides thoughtful, tailored advice to those contemplating a business sale, engaging Eddie for insightful, professional guidance in navigating the complexities of selling your business. And Eddie has actually sold a number of businesses for me, and I'm um, I can talk firsthand about how wonderful Network Infinity is, and it's really great to have you today, Eddie. To begin, Eddie, do you want to tell us anything else about Infinity Network and any more of your background you'd like to share with us? Ah, uh, sure. Well, firstly, thank you for the kind words. I I really appreciate that, and I'm glad you had a good experience. Um, so Network Infinity is obviously, it's, we're a business brokerage firm. Um, we work very closely with one another, unlike, I guess, your traditional brokerage firms where each individual broker only deals with their own business. We, we come together, we collaborate and try to get the best results for our, our clients. Um, we've also quite proud that we've got an admin department in the back end and Tanya, you probably have experienced firsthand that they also make sure that everyone's always informed up to date. Um, all the transactions are taken care of smoothly, efficiently. Why don't you tell us, Eddie, how do we sell a business? If someone has a business and they're really looking, they're, they're looking for options. Paul, do you have some clients in mind? Because this was a topic that you said you had interest in. Is there a case study you can give to Eddie for him to talk more about the process? Yeah, absolutely. So for instance, I've, I've spoken with clients who, um, who some have actually ended up with a much bigger business than they anticipated and weren't ready to actually, um, do that. We're actually just looking to have just a, a small little business and potter along and essentially be an independent support worker, but did a really good job. Um, and just thought, I, I actually don't want to do this. How do I pass it on to somebody else, essentially, so everyone still gets looked after. Yeah, funny you mentioned that. We've seen that on several different uh, occasions now. So uh, being in the NDIS sector, I guess, you know, that it's quite a dynamic space right now, and, and that's happening to more and more people. They, they've grown larger than, I guess, they anticipated or even in some cases even wanted to. Mm -hmm. And they've come to us, look, it's, it's time for me to move on and, and let somebody else take over what's become a bit of a behemoth. Um, selling an NDIS business is not very different to selling any other type of business. However, it is a little bit more complex as you could, you could imagine and appreciate. Um, there is essentially two different ways 
of selling them. One's either an asset sale, so it's an entity that owns the business. The business needs to be sold on. The other is by selling the ownership of the business. So in the case of a, a company structure, you would sell the shares. So the owners would sell the shares of that company and everything else within the company belongs and stays with the company. Um, there are other types of entities and, you know, we could complicate things by talking about them, but overall it, it is much the same as selling any other type of business when it comes to the transactional side of it. Yeah, cool. And so when people are like thinking, oh, and maybe they're coming from the other side where they're going, wow, this is a lot harder than I thought. Um, and uh, I don't know what what to do. And you know what? I just want to go back to having a job. How do I sell my business? As, and maybe it's just a, like it's a sole trader business even. Like is that a straightforward thing to do if they have participants and maybe a registration or something? Well, okay, that's that's one of the differentiating factors in the NDIS space. So when it's a sole, tra uh, sole trader, I should say, it does get a little bit, well, it is a little bit different to selling the shares mm -hmm. of uh, using that example before of a company because you've got uh, the NDIS registration, you've got participants who've signed service agreements with your business. Um, and I'm unsure as to the process or the possibility of selling or transferring the NDIS registration. My understanding of it is it's um, not possible, or if it is, it's extremely and prohibitively difficult. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not possible. So you can't transfer registration from one entity to another. So in the case of an entity, we're talking about an ABN. That's kind of the simplest way to explain it because people get stuck with sole traders, companies, trusts. Every entity has an ABN and yep. the, the registration is linked to that ABN. So you can't transfer registration. So what it is saying is in a company, you just simply sell the shares and they take over that ABN. But my understanding, and I could be wrong because I'm not an accountant, but my understanding is that you can't you can't sell a sole trader because that ABN always belongs with that person because it's like a tax file number almost. It's linked to an individual. That's right, yeah. So I think what you would need to do in that case is you would need to sell your participant list as opposed to selling a business and you couldn't sell that registration. So in my work, I'm often helping people decide what company structure to use and I would never suggest registering as a sole trader for this reason because yeah. it's really hard to then monetize that later. If, you, if you've got a sole trader, what you've done is bought yourself a job, not bought yourself a business. It's not an asset. It's a, it's a cash flow stream. Yeah. Correct. And you're also, you're, you are the entity, so you can't sell yourself. So yeah. you're cutting yourself short there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But otherwise, it can be deemed an asset sale. You can sell the business as an asset sale from yourself. Um, and I know some people get confused between the difference, uh, what the difference is between an asset sale and a share sale. Um, but I hope this has somewhat helped bring some light to it. Yeah, um, I, I hadn't heard those terms before and I have sold businesses. So I kind of just confirm my understanding that a share sale is as the company director, I have, let's say, 100 ordinary shares and I sell 100 ordinary shares from me to Paul as an example. And that's a share sale where I'm transferring the shares and then the ownership is really the shares have been changed over. 
Well, exactly right. Yes. And what's an asset sale then? Am I just, am I selling the client list, but not the shares? Okay. So when we say asset sale, uh, the client list would form part of that sale, depending on what you're actually selling. So what it is, is the entity, let's call it, it's a company. Um, The company owns, it may own several different assets. So it may own property, it may own vehicles, um, it may own a business, which is an NDIS business in this scenario. And the company, being the entity, wants to sell that asset. It will sell the business alone. And with with that business comes usually the trading name. Uh, The employees will be offered a job to transfer over to the new owner. Uh, any assets that are relevant to that business may be sold as part of that asset, IP, um, websites, a URL, phone numbers that might be attached to the business, email addresses. Does that help uh, answer that question, yeah. clarify yeah. it at all? So in that case, you're not really selling the business and the shares so that the registration wouldn't come with it. So if you're an unregistered provider, but you had built up quite a lot of assets, and acquired a lot of participants, you could sell the business without the company as such because there's no registration attached. Correct. Exactly right. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. I've learned something. That's great. That that's um great. That's great information. I guess the, the question that I hear often is: can I sell my NGOs business once it's registered? without having participants on board. So I've registered, I've gone through the audit process, I've waited a year for registration. Am I now, is that now a saleable asset? At the moment, my understanding is is that is correct. You can. I've heard rumors that they are looking at either restricting people from doing that or even stopping it altogether. However, I'm not 100% sure when and if that's ever going to happen. But the, uh, I guess the short answer is, yes, it is possible. I've had a lady who, you know, we sold her company. She went through the registration process, educated herself, went through the audit. And I think she said it was about 18 or 19 months later, she <laughs> received her registration. In the meantime, she's gone and had a baby, got on board, gone back to work, and her registration came through. So yeah, she'd almost forgotten everything she learned. Um, you know, life had moved on and she didn't know what to do with it, but she invested time and money into it. So we we sold it to another entity that was operating, knew what they were doing. Um, and they thought rather than waiting the 18, 19 months themselves, it's just easier to acquire a company that's registered so that they could continue on and expand in their own uh, in their own ways, however they see necessary. Yeah, fantastic. So I, I it's great that it actually is is possible. And um, I think it's, you're right. It's one of those things we need to probably keep on top of because they are always changing what you can and can't do. That's always a bit of fun there. Yeah. And, um, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, look, not every uh, entity type is saleable or transferable yeah. because you might have a discretionary trust or uh, a family trust. And th- some of these, you just can't sell them on. So therefore that registration is tied in with that entity and it, lives and dies with it. Yep. Um, Soul Trader is another example. We, we touched on that before. But, uh, and, and I think the easiest ones are the companies or entities with share structures that you can sell shares or ownership to somebody else. Yeah, yeah. cool. So if, if you're 
secession plan when you're starting your business is eventually to sell this business as an asset or even a, a share sale, you really need to make sure that you've got a proprietary limited company. That's really the best vehicle for that for that reason. Yeah, currently, I think that's the one with the least resistance. Um, yeah. But however, yeah, talk to your accountant, set up a structure that's best suited for you. Um, but when it comes to the registration, with the way things are as they stand currently, I think that's your easiest way. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So uh, what is important to do before the sale? Like you know, what does the business have to be like? How do you get prepared for that sort of thing? So each business, obviously they're very individual, but set up differently. My best advice I can give to somebody is treat it as a commercial transaction. Take your emotions out of it. Um, I'll get, you know, I'll give you an example. We get a lot of people ringing saying, I need to sell it for X amount of dollars before they've even given us any information because I've got a mortgage and I need to uh, sell it to retire or whatever the story may be. I'm sure you guys have heard stuff like this before. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and the, the, hard re- the hard truth, I guess, is that buyers don't care about your personal circumstances. End of the day, it is an asset. It, it is a, um, a liability and... People will look at it with their uh, commercial, uh, I guess it's a commercial transaction. So they will, they will treat it as such. Um, my best advice is, and depending on the size of the business, obviously, one key factor is you want to disconnect yourself from the business as much as possible. So if you are the main person running the business, you've got to realize that when somebody else comes to buy it, their first concern will be, okay, we take you out of the picture. All the participants and the staff are only there because of the connection you may have with them. That's not very helpful. And an example I give to a lot of people is think of it as when you're selling a restaurant. You'll have your local corner restaurant run by a mum and dad who everybody in the community loves and they love their cooking. Now, when they sell that restaurant, they can't sell themselves. They can't sell their personalities to yeah. the new owners. And, and there's some things that are just not transferable. So you want to make your business a business. It needs to try and stand on its own two feet as much as possible so that it is an asset. and It's a it's an, a machine that, you know, one plus one, it'll spit out two. You want to have your key persons, your your management structure in place. You want to have your employment contracts up to date. Your financials need to be up to date. You want to document as much as you can. You've got to realize that the buyers who are looking at it, they don't know your business. They don't know how you operate it. Yeah. It's very hard to paint that picture. So information is key and transparency. It's got to uh, stand up to some vigorous due diligence and especially as the size of the business grows, uh, so does the risk factors. So it's it's got to be transparent, clear, and easy to follow. Yeah, look, we we had that sort of process going with one of my clients recently, where they they weren't necessarily ready to sell, but they also had a lot of stuff going on and needed a step back from the business. And we've actually spent a lot of time developing their administration team uh, and making sure that there's really clean processes in there and even that the the participants were really well connected to for instance their client liaison and their support workers so that it wasn't just that one person at the top who they're all connected to and so when they do get to the point of going i want to sell then they go right the team this is a machine right as you said 
you put in one and one, you get two out, the whole thing works. That's fantastic. And that's exactly, you've, you've done yeah. the right thing there. That's the best way to, to sell any business, really. And again, it, it rings true for NDIS, especially when you're dealing with people, the participants can be um, connected to, I guess, their support workers or the owners themselves, yeah. especially if they started the business and they know everybody personally. And these are all factors that buyers will, will consider. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wonder, um, just anybody who might be looking at this, how do you actually go about valuing an NDIS business? Okay, I'll get this question very frequently. There is some benchmarks that I work off. However, I've got, if I've got to be honest, look, with most businesses, there is no uh, multiples. I know a lot of people talk about multiples out there, and, and I've heard them all from, mm -hmm. you know, two to five to we've heard 25, 30, 40. Yeah. The best way, I guess the best way to, to value it and valuation is actually very different to an agent's appraisal. Yeah. So I give an agent's appraisal, which is in my opinion, um, more accurate because we are in the industry, we're dealing with buyers every day of the week. Those buyers are in turn dealing with every other uh, business on the market. So they also know what they can buy the business for. Yeah. And we know what we can get our buyers to pay for it. Ultimately, the best way is to talk to somebody who's in the industry, who knows the market very well, knows the buyers, and they'll be able to give you a, a ballpark figure. And then from there, you would go through the finance financials, look at all the possible potentials, inefficiencies. And it's quite a, quite a process, in my opinion, Paul. Yeah, uh, right. I don't mean to complicate it. I get this question a lot, and, and yeah. I've always been somewhat stumped as to how to answer it. So when you talk about multipliers for people who who aren't in the selling business, multipliers we're talking about a a timesing of your EBITDA. So they do accountants would do a, a formulation of looking through your last three years or so of financials, working out your EBITDA. And I'm going to get it wrong, but I think that's earnings before in uh, income tax, a and then amortization. Is that right? So they, they do this financial calculation, they figure out what your EBITDA is. And then when you say multiplier, they generally they they cap they times that EBITDA by either two, three, four, five, six, et cetera, percent. And from my understanding, a, a, a two times multiplier is is okay. A three is pretty normal. And then like a six is like amazing. So you say 25, which is like oh the planet. Um, as far as EBITDA, but I believe that also changes based on the tier of business that you're in. So that multiplier would be different if you've got a $10 million business than you've got a $50 million business or if you've got a $500,000 business, roughly. Am I about right there? You're right, yes. And, it, and correct, it does change with the size of the business. Uh, there is other factors like barriers to entry. So you may have contracts in place that are, that are hard to attain. Um, there, there's so many key components mm. to it. Uh, as the business grows, obviously the owners are usually less and less involved in the day-to-day -day operations. Um, then they've got scale. They, the liability is still there, but there are somewhat less risks involved. So if you've got a hundred participants, all of uh, roughly with plans of approximately the same value, 
you could lose five of them and that would equate to 5% of your revenue. Whereas you had six participants, two of them made up 30% of the revenue each. You see the risk factors are are much higher there. So people will be more weary, will uh, take that into their consideration when they're calculating the, the offer that they're prepared to present. It, it would be part of their consideration. They'll take those risks into into account. Yeah, uh, I think um, you need to take into account obviously how volatile the market is. Like, you know, are we talking? You know, is it primarily sill homes? You know, which are have been historically you know quite stable, or are you doing day to day services? You know, there's all those different factors that can definitely be involved. But also, I guess it's really worth what someone's willing to pay for it as well, isn't it? it? That's exactly what it is. At the end of the day, it's, that's the best way to put it. Now, um, that's our job, I guess, is to break it down, look at what we think is going to be achievable. Yep. Um, sill homes, they are relatively stable. However, they do have that the other element, which is if a participant moves out and you've only got the one in there, then you're stuck with this yes. um, ongoing liability of the, the property, for example. So, and in, I guess in every aspect, there's different, different um, risks involved and um, considerations that buyers would make. With the, uh, going back to what Tanya was saying about the multipliers, yes, that's generally in the NDI space, I'm getting a lot of people talking and it's a relatively new industry. So there isn't that much history or that much data. It is mm-hmm. dynamic. It is, it is changing. Um, we're seeing waves of buyers coming in and then dropping off. Um, and it, it kind of changes day to day. Um, however, the two to three is about where I'm seeing it. And three, I would say is in a realistic, in the realistic world, it is the higher end in my opinion. To get a three times multiplier is a good outcome. Um, people do like to, you know, sensationalize, exaggerate. I've heard so many different mm-hmm. stories of prices people have achieved, but yeah. Um, at the end of the day, we tend to get a higher value because we know how to highlight the uh, the potentials and and the opportunities that may lay in a business. You know, there might be some inefficiencies that a new owner would like to take advantage of, and I'm talking in the commercial sense, obviously. And these are the things you need to highlight, and this is how you achieve the higher result. Yeah. Um, do you guys want to hear an example of like one we did a few weeks ago that can, I guess, demonstrate the difference between having a normal broker and somebody who, who does all the, the homework and knows what they're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I won't use the real numbers and I won't identify the business. However, there was a offer made to the owner, well, two different offers made to the owner, and it was about a third of what we were able to achieve in the end. Um, the reason we did that, we looked oh. at the business, we saw there was one arm of the business that was actually losing a lot of money. However, it was valuable to another company who had the infrastructure to absorb it. Now we mm-hmm. thought, okay, we could remove that and we're going back to the asset sale versus share sale. We sold that off as an asset sale on behalf of the company and that mitigated the loss that they were making from that one division. However, the rest of the business flourished because you, you've taken off, I guess, yeah, right. that component. Now, the company got paid for selling that asset and it's financially become a much better organization or financially much better. And that now sold for more. So in the end, we achieved three times the price uh, she was about to sell it for. Yeah, wow. So I, I've always kind of, when I've looked at selling businesses and I've sold a, a few businesses in in my lifetime, 
my accountant is a very smart man and he once said to me that there's only a few reasons people buy a business. There's people who want to buy a job. There's people who want to buy an income stream. There's people in this case in NJS that just want that registration or there is existing businesses with like mergers and acquisition strategies for ideas that you have no idea what they want to do with your business. But it kind of like boils down to that. And I guess if you have a look at where your business is, I guess speaking to someone like you, Eddie, helps figure out who are the buyers for this business. Are there, is it someone, you know, if it's a small business with uh, 10 participants and the owner is inside the business, selling that business is only really suitable for someone who wants that job of being that person because there's not the structures in place. It's not quite an income stream. Whereas if if you are removed from the business and you're overseeing it at a high level and it is creating a, a bit of profit and you've got a healthy EBITDA and a healthy revenue, then they're buying an income stream that they don't have to work in. And that would suit an investor or that would suit someone who's entrepreneurial with multiple businesses. And then if there's someone, if you've got a registration like and maybe other contracts in place outside of NGIS. So if you're an allied health provider and you do work cover and you do Medicare and you do NGIS, then those contracts that are in place are very valuable. And then people are buying those contracts potentially, whether it's just your NGIS registration, yeah. all those other contracts in place they're buying multiple things and that makes it more valuable. And you would know, okay, maybe instead of just listing it online and waiting for people to come to me, we're going to do a merger and acquisition strategy where I've got 15 allied health practices where we've got a, you know, a healthy EBITDA. Um, and I can, instead of selling it to someone that just wants the registration, which might be, you know, a, a one EBITDA multiplier, I might be able to get a four or a three EBITDA multiplier by by actually going outwards and looking for people who have similar businesses that want to increase their cash flow and have the structures in place. Yeah. Um, and so I guess they're the kind of different types of sale arrangements that I've heard of. Is there any that I've missed or is there anything you wanted to add to the <clears throat> No, you're you're pretty spot on. Look, there's even even the cases you've got to look at it from many angles. But even the the uh, the example you said there of a sole trader, with, or not a sole trader, but a small business with say ten participants, you've got to assume that not only would somebody look at buying it if they wanted to buy themselves a job, but we would reach out to companies that we know have the infrastructure in place where they could absorb that business, mm-hmm. and we would see that because of the efficiencies that they have. They would actually, um, that would be more valuable to them than the way it's being operated currently. Well, in some cases, and that could give that vendor a quite a healthy payout. Yeah, yeah. The only other question that that I have for you, Eddie, is we've kind of talked about the process, but if I'm to drill it down, are are the steps that okay? Someone that wants to sell their business, the steps they would go through in my head is something like, I decide I want to sell my business. I need to make sure my finances are in order. I need to calculate my EBITDA. I need to figure out my assets. I need to make sure I have processes in place. Once I know what that is, I need to engage a business broker and and have a chat to someone like you and really figure out who is the buyer for this business. And from that process, what happens? You advertise, you introduce buyers, you go through due diligence and then negotiation. Is is that about right or is there other steps that are involved? 
Yeah, that's, that's a very simplified way of, of putting it. Um, I can run through the steps with you guys or a, a brief yeah. overview of it. Right. Um, I would say the first thing that they would need to do is make a firm decision that they do want to sell. Again, because these businesses are quite dynamic, you would want to sort of draw a line in the sand and say, all right, this is at the point that I've decided I want to put this on the market and we start from there. So we'd say, all right, you've got um, you know, 30 participants, 40 support workers, and we put together a compelling IM to present to the buyers now. The, I guess, putting the business on the market and advertising, that's that's not a very um, results-driven type way of selling a business. You, what you want to do is go to the buyers that you know would, would benefit from buying this business. You need to understand what, firstly, their needs are. Then you need to understand the business that you're selling and try to find the, the efficiencies that could be had so that you can actually sell it to them and explain to them why they need to buy this why they can't miss this opportunity and why they need to take it off the market before their um, competitor takes it on and and they grow inside. So that's, I guess that's more of a proactive approach to doing it. You want to have your finances, like you said, Tanya, get all that in place. Have you got leases? For example, you've got still homes. Do you have leases in place? Are the tenures on the leases very short? Is that going to be a problem? So what we like to do is look at all the potential uh, hurdles that we may have to overcome early on in the piece and think of how we are going to overcome them before they become a problem. So yeah. very simply put, short lease, let's talk to the landlord or the agent, get it in writing that we can extend that lease. Um, with your staff, like I said before, you want to have your employment contracts up to date. If there's an audit coming up, you want to make sure that everything's in place or even prepared for the audit because that could become an obstacle and a concern mm -hmm. for a potential buyer. Documentation, I guess that's that's also, it can be exhausting, it can be daunting to collate it all. And um, you've got to realize you are now trying to paint a picture to somebody who doesn't know the business. And a lot of owners know their business inside and out. Yep. They need to somehow um, present it to somebody who's got no clue in a uh, in a short period of time. Grab their attention, and that's I guess that is our job. We put together an, a compelling IM. We ask the questions, um, and I guess most brokers will do the same. I shouldn't just uh, tout us, but that's that's the gist of it. You've got your assets. Yeah, sure. You want to you know have your assets in place if there's vehicles in the company that aren't going to be sold with the the company, for example. Be prepared. Take them out. Get your uh, balance sheet sorted out with your accountant. Your accountant does generally play a rather large role in selling an NDIS because in most cases they are sold by a share sale. And inherently with, with share sales, there's a lot more um, risks involved for the buyers. Yeah, so I think if someone is uh, looking this sort of summarized, um, really going to get all your ducks in a row. Uh, I think a good place, obviously, to start is talking with your accountant. So, am I set up? Is this something that can be done um, with with my current business structure? And then making sure you've got all those bits and pieces in place, um, and then engaging someone like you because I think having someone like you to actually, you know, I guess hold the hand, do the due diligence, and um, and uh, help someone through that process, but also, you know, getting the best deal for what you're doing, and not just sort of going to whatever the market says. How does someone get in touch with you, mate? Uh, they ring the office generally 24-7 here. So um, yeah. 
24-7. Yeah, it does, doesn't <laughs> stop. But um, it's we've got a website, networkinfinity.com.au. Right. Um, we've got our head office. Do you want the phone number? It's 02-8197-9954. Otherwise, just shoot us an email at uh, contact at networkinfinity.com.au. Right. We'll we'll put all that stuff in the in the show notes. So if you didn't get that, listeners, it'll be in their notes ready for you to get a hold of. But thank you so much, mate. I really appreciate today. I think it's shed a lot of light on uh probably a, a quite a murky area for a lot of people. Not really sure. Can it be done? Can't it be done? What does it look like? What's the process? So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I uh, I hope it helps in some way. I think it was great. Oh. It was it was great, and it was great to demystify the process of selling businesses for so many people that are really interested in this as an avenue, yeah. whether it be now or in the future. Um, that's it for today's episode. But next week we are going to be talking about. It'll be Paul and I having a chat about when is the right time to hire your first manager. So we'll be talking about what managers are in NGOs businesses. Where do you start? When is the right time? And all of the things that you need to consider when hiring your first manager. So I look forward to seeing everyone then. And thanks again, Eddie and Paul. We'll chat soon. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, Tanya. Thanks, Paul. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Profitable NDIS Provider Podcast with Tanya Gomez and Paul Bryan. We hope you found today's episode informative and valuable. If you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to subscribe, leave us a rating and share it with others who could benefit from our insights. Until next time, keep thriving.